Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh, serve fast, serve friendly, lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Brooks Downing grew up a typical Kentucky fan like you and me. A hometown product, Brooks found himself in the middle of Kentucky athletics by broadcasting games as a UK student and working for Kentucky notables such as Kaywood Ledford and C.M. Newton during his professional career as sports information director for the University of Kentucky. And he's experienced quite a bit when it comes to Kentucky basketball. From his senior year at UK and leading up to the final days of Coach Eddie Sutton to the infamous Sports Illustrated article featuring Coach Rick Pitino, Brooks has made a living with his career dealing with the media. We'll hear about those stories and more, including the atmosphere during the NCAA investigation, the hiring of CM Newton and Rick Pitino. Also, Oscar and Brooks discuss some controversial decisions that were made during Pitino's tenure, including the 1996 SEC championship game and the 1997 Final Four, including the player who scored but didn't play a single minute in that game. I'm Bo Robinson, and there's quite a bit in part one of Oscar's conversation with Brooks. As I've said before, you think you know the whole story? Think again. This is part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Brooks Downing. Brooks, you're coming up on your 30th anniversary from having left the University of Kentucky this year as a graduate. <laughs> Doesn't seem that long. How's life been? Wow. Uh, I had actually thought about it in that perspective. You're, you're with the big number right out of the box. Uh, it's, it's hard to believe it's been that long because uh, it, it's gone by so quick. Um, just been very blessed. If you look back over the the, the full body of work, as they say, and, and the opportunity. Now you're always using that NCAA language yes, on me. Yes, yes. Well, it's that coaching season, you know, the crazy season in college basketball when they all change jobs. Um, so you have to use their lingo, and that's all I hear. But at the same time, you look back and you see the opportunity that I had of working with um, C.M. Newton as athletics director as an intern, a uh, guy like Chris Cameron, who was our SID at the time, who was one of my mentors. But then to, to bounce out and, and get my first job with Kaywood Ledford, my next job working at the KHSAA with Billy Wise, then Lewis Stout, and then going back to work for Coach Patino at UK under CM, and then having guys like Jamal Mashburn and Rick Avar get you into private business, Jonathan Blue out of Louisville, who's as good of a businessman as there is, uh, just all the different folks that have come. I've I've kind of come across their path and been been able to learn from. It's it's very it's been very humbling. And uh, rewarding all the we'll same time. We'll get into the stumbling a little <laughs> bit later on. Well, let's go back a little bit because you're you're a native <clears throat> Kentuckian. You've got real, real deep roots in Lexington and here. And 
a little bit of the history. You you went to undergraduate school here at Kentucky. Yep. What 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 was your personal life like growing up? Playing athletics. I played baseball growing up uh, in school till I got cut in high school uh, by Eddie Sellers, who's still here in town. Uh, he says I, I had a, just didn't have the speed, I guess. Wound up playing football for Steve Parker, who was the first African-American football coach in Fayette County. Um, now Dr. Parker at UK runs the, uh, runs the program over there uh, at Seton Center. Um, you know, I, I grew up on a – my dad was a builder and, and a farmer. Um, I grew up driving the tractor and uh, listening to K-Wood at night on the radio, keeping stats on my own uh, under my pillow, uh, all that good stuff that you hear. I, that was me, and, you know, playing basketball in the backyard and, and looking at I-75, wishing Joe B. Hall would drive by and spot me shooting jumpers. He said he did one time, but the sign on my street said, slow children, and he just kept going. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I, I pretended to be Jack Gibbons and, and, uh, Kevin Grevy and trust and me, I know those two. and, <laughs> you know, all those guys were my heroes, just like everybody else. And so I, I go to UK, you know, I go to Bryan station and then on to UK, uh, after a brief stint at EKU, uh, for a year, but got what back to UK. There? I just didn't, I was going to be a veterinarian and didn't changed my mind didn't like the school just hated richmond at the time and, and needed to come home and just get back focused on Chamber work. not gonna like listen to this no Lockmuller <laughs> won't like it either but but he'll get over it uh we you know got back and it was great because what i i did the simple thing oscar of answering an ad in the kentucky colonel for broadcasters sport broadcasters um for wbky radio and you probably remember WBKY mm -hmm. would set up with students on the table or in the press an, box. I believe there's another guy over there that sort of tagged along with uh, UK broadcasting over the years. Well, time out. <laughs> Hang on before you get there because you're going to ruin. You're going to play spoiler okay. alert there. We we uh, I answer this ad and I get a call from an upperclassman saying, "Hey, yeah, um, me and this other guy, we're going to be the announcers. We need a couple of stat guys and want to know if you want to be a stat guy." Well, sure. So that Saturday, I show up at Commonwealth Stadium. The elevator door opens up in the press box, and there sits Kay Wood and Ralph, and there's our booth next door. And I went, this you, is, you just died and gone to heaven. I, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, this is where I belong. And so I sit on one side keeping stats for the first football game, and on the other side of the two announcers, the upperclassman, was a guy named Mike Dodson. And so he and I start out, and, of course, everybody that's listening, Mike Dodson – uh, pretty much put together the UK network uh, for radio, got all the affiliates on board, does the same thing for the NCAA radio no network. He made his career with host communications and all the reiterations of, of that company thereafter. But Mike and I are still best friends to this day. Greatest and, guy in the world. Oh, man, just outstanding. And so it's just neat to see how our both paths ran kind of parallel, uh, got into the areas we knew best. Mine was more PR. His was more broadcast. And um, – you know, that got me started was doing the games on BKY. And, I mean, in a year or two later, he was the play-by-play -play guy and I was the analyst and Kay Wood and Ralph sitting next to us and we're doing the Mark Higgs game and four straight times up the middle and can't beat Tennessee and, what was that, 87? Uh, those kind of those kind of games come back uh, quickly. Let, let, let's go back into your undergraduate days at UK. You uh, graduated in 88. Mm -hmm. uh, so you were in the tail end of the Eddie Sutton era. Yep. 
And uh, I guess that was uh, Rex's second year yep. here. Tell me what you remember most uh, at that time doing the campus radio about the program and what was going on. And, you know, how, how deeply were you aware of the problems that were going on at the time? You knew there was a lot of mess um, as a student back in that time period. And you knew what you didn't know is Eddie Sutton was battling alcoholism. And it became clear to me as a student, I had an assignment in my journalism class. I was a telecom major and a journalism minor. And uh, I had to go do a, a story one day just to have it appear in the kernel as part of my grade. And so I went and did a preview, and it was Rex's freshman year. And so my feature was on Rex and Midnight Madness. This is, you know, that, that, that year when he, he showed up. And so I go, and I, I need to get an interview with Rex, which I got that set up through the sports information office. And I had to get an interview with Eddie. So I called the secretary, which turned out to be Marta McMacken. And Marta set me up on a time for like 8.30 a.m. one morning. So this is October, like first week of October. Madness is next week. I'm preparing my story. And I show up, you know, my little legal pad and, and nervous as can be. I dressed up. I didn't know how to show up for it, that kind of deal. Well, there's a Sports Illustrated reporter there, too. He's waiting on him. We're both there in the lobby just chit-chatting. And uh, Eddie walks in about a half hour late. And he looks over and says, you know, he knows the SI writer and shook his hand and said, you wait a minute, i got to take care of this young man first. Come on in. So I go in his office, and it's a cool fall, beautiful morning here in Kentucky, like always. Cool, crisp day. And poor Eddie's sweating <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. I mean, just soaked, just sitting there in dress clothes like you and me right now. And it was like, it was just odd, you know, I'm – 21 years old, and I'm going, what's wrong with this fella? But uh, now having known Coach Sutton and, and, and knowing Sean and knowing the rest of them, working with him over the years, it, you just didn't know what was happening. And that was the, the part that sticks back with me is, man, he, not only do we have the issues going on, he had personal issues and all of that. Can you imagine the pressure, Oscar, of working in this environment, having not only an NCAA investigation that would soon ensue, as well as your own personal alcoholism. Now, in the middle of all this, though, before he leaves, <clears throat> you're back at the university after you've graduated, yep. and you're a full-time intern. Correct. So you've got a different level of accessibility oh, than you had as a student. How did that change, and what do you remember about that? I would liken it being in Trump Tower during the election process. It was a zoo down the Coliseum. There was CNN one day. There, you know how they were big in sports back in the day. Actually, they were a walking the channel hall. just for oh, CNN sports. Yeah, yeah, just and they were they were as big, if not bigger, than the ESPN or, or Sports Center at the time. That's where you went to get your news on cable. Anything going on in the sports world? Well, we had everybody up and down the hall, as well as all the Kentucky media, which, as we know, is the largest contingent in, in all of college basketball. And so the focus that you had on your program and how it was under siege. I mean, it truly was under siege. I've never seen anything or experienced anything like it since. And uh, I went through the Hal Mummy deal. I went through the young man getting killed um, uh, going deer hunting after the football game. Trent DeGero. Trent. Uh, that, that shooting. I, I've been through a ton of that stuff as the PR director, but nothing – from the siege that you had of just people dying to know what's going to happen next. It's that sort of like incredible. vultures flying around. Vulture. 
I mean, Cliff Hagen's on his way out. Next thing you know, he gets fired. We're in the thir- midst of a 13-19 and 19 season at Kentucky, which was the first losing season in 70-some-odd years. Uh, it, it, was, it was just – it couldn't have been worse for those folks involved. Eddie's trying to save his job. Er, the, the staff's not talking because everybody's pointing fingers. Uh, you talk about the countdown. They just could not get to the end of the season quick enough. Now, in the midst of all this, you had a new president to come in in the middle of, I think it was Eddie's second year or third year, 87, 88, I think. 88. And the first year, Eddie had an unbelievable run. In fact, it took LSU four cracks to get him in the Elite Eight. Regional final. And that year – they perhaps were as good as anybody in the country. They changed that rule after that fourth that loss to, to LSU in the same season to at least keep you apart in the NCAA tournament. Um, no, it, they had a heck of a team. I mean, the best team money could buy, as it turned out. Um, but they had a heck of a team assembled, and, of course, you sat there and watched it all crumble apart. Now, you made a statement there, the best team money could buy. I can't let you off there. <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, I, was $1,000 there? And who put it? I, I got to think, looking back, the money had to be there. It, there was too much indications that it, that it couldn't have just been a story that made up. The question is who put it there. That's something I don't think we'll ever know. You, you get into that last year, and I'll never forget, the season started off Springfield, Massachusetts. Played the Hall of Fame Classic. Mm-hmm. Played Duke. Duke. And Dick Vitale was calling the game. Called for, called for Eddie's head. Called for Eddie's head during the middle of the game. Yeah. And the very next Tuesday night, Kentucky's home hosting Indiana. And Dickie V is calling the game. Mm-hmm. You remember that? I remember it. You remember, you? you remember what Kaywood told him? <laughs> Kaywood said, don't stand too close to me, Dick. I don't want to – I'm afraid that guy might have a bad aim. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we go through that year, and, and immediately after Kentucky loses, to of all people, C.M. <clears throat> Newton and Vanderbilt in Vanderbilt. the SEC tournament. Yep. In Knoxville. Yep. Thompson Bone Arena. SEC tournament. Immediately. I was there. He's released. But before he's re- released, something happened uh, that no one expected to happen. And Kaywood Lifford took a public stand for Eddie against the president made the statement on the radio. I think our friend Ralph Hacker had probably something to do with that. Did that surprise you at the time that he would do that? You know, I, I wasn't working for Kaywood yet. Um, he had – he's one of those kind of guys um, that had the juice to be able to pull that off in a fashion that only Kaywood could do. And so did it surprise me? Yes, because at the end of the day – uh, you know, you're still filling a role as the voice of the Wildcats, right? But if you knew Kaywood, Kaywood always would tell the story about Adolph Rupp and sitting down with him as a young announcer and, and going, going he, told, he told Kaywood, said, Kaywood, you call it like it is. If we're, playing, if we're playing poorly, you bust our butts about it. Don't, don't think for a second that you have to, to paint a rosy picture when it's not a rosy picture because we're going to have bad games. And Kaywood kind of took that to heart and lived it out. And I think that's what made him better is he felt like he had the confidence from the best coach in all of college basketball to tell him, you call it like you see it. Do you think he would have made that same call 
if Otis Singletary was still president instead of David Roselle? Uh, may not have because Kaywood Kaywood knew the history. Just like, you know, you and I were talking off air before we came on. I, I mean, I'm a ninth-generation Lexingtonian, born and raised here. I, I know the history of this program. I've watched it, dreamed it, been a part of it now in, in a pretty intimate way. And so when you look at Kaywood, that's him, right? I mean, he taught, he taught me class. He taught me work ethic. Um, I mean, even right down to the very last game, the Duke game in 92, he prepared for it just the way I'm sure he prepared for the very first game he did back in 1952. You know what I mean? Uh, he just had that kind of an attitude and focus, but he felt like he was part of the program and just the same way he does it with the listener. And that's what I think Tom is able to do now. And that's what I love about Tom Leach is that he's able to bring that listener in and make him feel like he's part of the program. He's sitting there with him. You're seeing it through his eyes. His eyes are my eyes. And, and Kaywood had that. And Kaywood knew, hey, if I got an opinion, I'm going to share it. I don't, I'm not going to do it often. I'm going to do it in my weekly newspaper <laughs> that competed with, with the cat's yeah. paws. And I'm going to do it now and then when I get – when I think it's necessary, and he only did it in the interest of the overall program. After that fateful day when Eddie was let loose, a lot of <laughs> things happened over the next uh, month, month and a half. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, probably just like replacing Tom Crean at Indiana, although it's under different circumstances. A lot of rumors out there, a lot of stories, 90% of them false what do you remember most about that period? I mean, we heard everybody's name from CM taking over, hiring Kyle Mason assistant, letting Kyle take over after a year. John Bostick was coming in. P.J. Carlissimo was coming in. Gene, uh, uh, what was uh, Rose. Gene Rose. Uh, mm -hmm. Was going to take it. Uh, that we, we, I mean, there were just a multitude of people. Not Gene Rose, but the Not other Gene Rose, Rose. Uh, from Transy. Lee yes, Rose. Lee Rose. Lee Rose. So, all right. So let me back up for a second. You, you, you hit a. There's a couple different stories in there. Yeah. First, the SEC tournament at Thompson Bowling, which was uh, almost of a, as much of a disaster. It was the next gen or Orlando when they were on probation and couldn't go back. And the SEC, I went down because we ran the stats for the SEC tournament. I was still at UK as an intern, and there's nobody at the games because you're. I mean, you're, that's where I go every year. Dwayne Shinsis or somebody was yeah. the best player at well, the University if of you, Florida. Yeah, but if you remember that same year, Florida had just changed coaches in the middle yeah. of the season. Don Navoe was the interim coach that yeah. year, yeah. and they were one and out. So there was nobody there. Nobody there. Nobody there. And they never went back to Orlando, which was unfair because Orlando could have been a good. Good potential site if Kentucky was in the event. If you didn't want it to go there, that was a perfect year right. to have it there. But I got off I got off kilter, which we'll do a little bit throughout yeah. this podcast. The, the year before there in Knoxville and Thompson Bowling, CM got put on the spot in the press conference after his one of his games. Are you going to become the next athletic director at Kentucky? He didn't really he didn't really dance around it. He said there are discussions, but I'm just focused on uh, my team in hand this week. Well, now he was actually named AD when. About a month or two before the end of the season. Was it that early? Yes, yes, because everybody knew it, and he was going to stay with them through the tournament. That's what it was. Yes. Well, he did He did dismiss the question about who he's going to hire then. That must have been That's the question. That's what it was, who he's going to hire. He says, I'm focused on my yes. team right now. Yes. I haven't yes. started that job on April 1st. 
he started his job. Actually, whatever the day was after the – no, he actually started the day after he got beat out. Was it really? But it was late March. Yeah, yeah. Right, right in that area. So he comes in. Lute Olson comes in. P.J. Colissimo comes in. You have these different folks he's talking to. You know he's going on the road. And, and the one that really picked up the most, most steam is the one you've ta- talked about. I'll just have to coach this team for a year, and Kyle will be my assistant. I'll groom Kyle to take over if I don't find somebody else. And that seemed to be where we were headed until Coach P showed up. And, and, and Coach P's story, we've finally drawn the links together. I had Kenny Walker on a while ago. Coach P was asking Kenny Walker about the position in early December. Do wow. you think that they're going to make a change in Kentucky? And Kenny told us on here, well, I don't know. And he said, well, what's, the, what's, what's Lexington like? And he said, he called him out of practice one day before he said this. And he, he said, Kenny said, I need to talk to you after practice. Remember, this is, Kenny's playing for the Knicks. For the Knicks, Coach P's yes. coaching. And so Kenny turns to Patrick Ewing and says, I thought I had a good practice date. What did I screw up on? Patrick said, well, I didn't see you screw up on anything. So he walks into the office and sits down, and Coach P starts talking about Kentucky. And what's going? And then Kenny calls a friend of his, to which we both know, Don Johnson, mm-hmm. and asks Don Johnson. And Don Johnson starts calling people around, Jim Rose. And you know how high up Jim Rose was with Doctor Roselle. Oh yeah. And then the way we hear it, as time goes along, is suddenly the P.J. Carlismo thing came up, and the Lee Rose thing come up. And one day, he calls Kenny out again after practice. Come here. Kenny, they're not stupid enough to hire P.J. Colissimo, are they? And t- Kenny said that on the podcast that we just got through doing about a wow. month ago. And <laughs> I never I, heard that story. Yeah. And so th- the way that Kenny tells it to other people is that Sim was ready to pull the trigger. But then Jim Rose got to Roselle and called him and said, you will not fill this position until Rick Pitino says, no, I am not interested. And Rick Pitino had told him, I can't talk about anything until my season is finished. Playoffs. He went to the playoffs. It yes. It into May. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that's, a, that's an incredible story because you will then hear that CM would always tell the story I can't quite get comfortable with anybody else. It's just it's a tough situation. It's a tough deal, you know, but I wanted to be patient. I wanted to wait until Coach Patino told me absolutely no, mm-hmm. and I had to get up there once the season was well, over before we could really have that discussion. You know, uh, uh, Sam had a wonderful career at Trancy, mm-hmm. at Alabama, SCC office for a couple of years, back to Vanderbilt, but he never had the big mic in his hand anywhere like he suddenly was handed to him when he got to Kentucky. No question. And obviously that was the biggest hire of his tenure here. Well, I mean, he, he takes over, like I said, around on or about April 1st, 1989. And so you're looking at a, at, at a hire, by the way, which not, is not even made today. They don't go find the, well, the for, favorite had, son had, that's coaching. Had, had Patino been involved with squabbles with the front office Correct. in New York, he would have never been interested in Kentucky. And Patino was smart. I, I put him and Calipari in the same thing. Is uh, When they make a move, it's a no-lose move. It's How no could lose. you lose coming to Kentucky when they were at the lowest in the history of the school? Mm-hmm. Not once, but twice. Only one way to go. 
and when Patino went to Louisville. Very, very similar. Very similar. Not as bad, but very no. similar. So what's interesting, though, is CM would never have gotten this job today. If the Eddie Sutton fiasco hadn't happened. Right. If the Eddie Sutton, or even if, it, if something like that happened in college athletics today, they don't go hire a CM Newton. First of all, they don't even fire the coach. Look, look what Dr. Todd did. He wanted to change the culture. So he went with somebody that knew the SEC, but that was somewhere else. And so he brings well, Mitch I, in I think, from Oregon. I think a lot of State. colleges today now, the president doesn't want to divide his power. He's not going to hire any A that has local roots or local ties equal to his or larger than his. That's why you see these ADs jumping all over the country. And not too many of them get to come back to their hometown. Not too many of them do. And, and that's what's interesting is when they do, it's, it's a rare occurrence. And, and then to your next point with Coach P being, making that hire, I mean, it, it all, obviously there's people always thinking just the other day with Tom Crean's situation, where's the first name that pops up? Steve Alford. Steve Alford. Second name that pops up? Billy Donovan. Yes. Guy makes the move to, to the pros. Can we talk him to come back here just like Kentucky talked Patino to come back? It, it's, it almost but set the, up a blueprint, right? Yeah, but the only difference is that Billy D don't have the issues with the thunder that Rick had with the Knicks. No, he doesn't. Other than he doesn't have Kevin Durant, which is kind of a big issue. And he's probably not going to get him. <laughs> which he thought he was going to have. Well, but but he knew, though, go walking in that if they didn't re-sign him. There was a, there was a chance. But, but at the same time, he knew he had him for two years. Yeah. And he was willing to take that risk. Yeah. And I, I think I think part of Billy leaving there, too, to be honest about it, is Jeremy Foley didn't do him right. His last year there, his last year and a half, they were supposed to build that basketball facility. And when they hired a new football coach, coach the football coach, McElwin, mm-hmm. said, i got to have an indoor facility by August the 1st. They immediately announced that due to some funding issues and some – late design plans they were going to have to delay the basketball Mm. renovation one year and less than 24 hours later they announced they're going to go ahead and build a football one now that's not what you say to billy donovan when they have been promising him an upgraded facility since 2007 i think you put those two together and you know at the end of the day i think florida always says as long as we pay him first class Race won't matter. I think Billy finally had too much pride. He said, hey, you expect me to do this? He went to, like, what, five or six elite eights in a row. Yeah, but he also had wanted to make this move. He wanted to give that a shot. He tried with the magic, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then well, that only lasted three days or two days. Not or even that long. I think by the time he drove back to Gainesville after the press yeah. conference, it was over. But but he, he, had, to, he had that so, little vein in his body. He had to go try that. So Rick shows up. And there had already been one Sports Illustrated article, Kentucky's Shame, mm-hmm. before he even got mm-hmm. here. Um, wasn't too long till there was another Sports Illustrated article. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Well, it was great. Uh, I thought it was a tremendous deal because SI wanted to send in a, a reporter. Now, let's fast forward. I get the job in 95. So just I'm there for Coach Patino's first year. I was still an intern, even got to travel with the team a little bit, uh, helping Chris Cameron out. But then I leave, go work for K Wood, go work for KHSAA. I'm gone for five years. I come back. 
So Kentucky was just coming off the loss to North Carolina in the semifinal when, you know, all you know what broke loose and Rasheed Wallace and and uh, all, all I mean, that. I think, uh, think we had another player to depart that year. Yes, we did. A guy named Roderick Rhodes. Yes. And uh, my first uh, – I think about my first day on the job, I was sent down to – where was it? Uh, oh, um, the hotel downtown to listen to the press conference that Roderick was leaving because Roderick wouldn't know who I was. And so Coach P sent me down there to listen in to see what he, he said. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> so I was in the audience listening to Roderick announce his intentions to go somewhere else, Southern Cal, I guess it was. And, uh, and that was like my first day on the job in the summer of 95. But that fall, obviously, we're going to be uh, you know, the preseason one, number two, one. Three, whatever. Exactly. Uh, one of the top teams in the country. Everybody coming back with Delk and McCarty and company and a favor to win the national championship. And so um, I get uh, I get call, a call from Sports Illustrated. And this, again, I'm three months in, four months in. And, uh, hey, we want to send a reporter in to stay two weeks here in the preseason and do a big feature that will run before the NCAA tournament uh, in the spring because you guys will be one of the favorite teams. So I go to I go to Coach P, and, you know, I mean, that's old hat for him. For me, I'm excited. It's a feather in my cap. I get to entertain SI for two weeks and, and, and put it on and go. Well, they send in the reporter. And um, he, he sets up shop and, and interviews everybody. I knew you were going to ask me that, and I should have looked it up before I got here, Oscar, and I can see his face, when and he, I can't when, think of his when name. He, when he more known or better known for writing about the Features. horse industry? He was a horse guy. Mm-hmm. And I think he had some friends here who were real, real tight with people at UK. He said, this guy will do you right. He'll do you, he'll, he'll, he could trust him. Yes. And that was, that was very important. And so, it, as it turned out, after he spent two weeks here, you know who he spent most of his time with talking to? It wasn't Rick. It wasn't any of the players. It wasn't me. It was Joanne. So, he really took a liking to Joanne Patino. And they went to lunch and coffee, and and he talked to her for hours on end just about the whole experience of being a basketball wife uh, of Rick Pitino. And um, it's Bill Knack. Bill Knack. Isn't that right? Bill Knack. That's who it was. William Knack. Yes, and he's written dozens of horse racing stories at Canaan. Tons of features. uh, Really good. Just a super guy. And, And... he spent more time with Joanne than anybody else. Nobody thought anything of it. You know, that's great. <laughs> you know, he's going to lunch with her, whatever. I, I never, you know, she didn't talk a lot to begin with and had no interest in doing media interviews. I mean, she, she let Rick be the basketball coach, and she wanted to be the mom of the Patinos and, and did a great job of that. So he goes back and sits on the story, and we kind of forget about it. You know, season takes takes place, and, you know, Nine, 12 weeks later, um, here, here we get a draft of the article. And we had h- heard it had been held up, and they were retouching it up, something Which like that. Which goes through about 40 different grindstones at ESPN. Exactly. At Sports uh, Illustrated. Sports Illustrated. And so they, get, they go through all those grindstones, and they change a few things up. So they send us a draft. You remember, back then, everything's faxed. It's faxed over to us. And all the images, I mean, it had already been laid out, but all the images are kind of blacked out over the fax machine. That, had you seen a cover yet? No. Had not seen a cover and had not seen, uh, didn't see any of the pictures in the article. So I read the article, and it brings up Hawaii. It brings up this stuff. It talks about Joanne 
probably more than you would have expected. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I read it. I'm like, ah, it's five, six pages in Sports Illustrated. It's a subscription of 12 million people what's around old, the world. What's that old saying? A picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah, we had we had no pictures. Yeah, at this point. And so, you know, Coach reads it. Eh, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. You know, it's kind of like he was like, ah, oh, it's fair. And so, it is what it is. Then the article show. Then the magazine shows up in a box, dozen of them or more. And there's that picture on the cover of just his, you know, looking like the devil screaming from the sideline. And um, turn to the pages. And well, wait a minute. Describe the rest of the cover. The rest of the cover. Refresh my memory. Uh, the chain. Oh no, that's in the, that's in the article. Oh, okay. That's no. The cover was an action shot. Okay. I'd have been fine if it was all action shots. That's where the big surprise came, because now you turn to the inside of the 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 book, uh, and, and there comes the article up, and it's all um, drawings. They're all caricatures. There are no pictures, and. The other thing that he had really complained about is we went out to Seth Hancock's farm in Paris and spent an afternoon taking pictures, too, which he really didn't want to do in October. And so we go out there, and, and we get this article out of the magazine, and here's the picture. And it's Joanne strapped to the basketball goal being, quote-unquote, tugged across, across America. And and it, and just put this painted this image of, of like he's got this you know this bride out of slavery or into slavery more more importantly, uh, and just every picture after picture, just was a shot at Coach P. And all of a sudden that just changed the whole dynamics. Well, this is one of the biggest features now that have been written on Kentucky basketball by the leading magazine in the world, right for sports. So it went from being a feather in my cap to a burr in my you-know-what. <laughs> my saddle, I guess we would call it. He, it even becomes a story because you know who Jerry, Jerry Tipton's going to ask him about it. <clears throat> and what is it? Front page of the sports, I'm under the bus. Just like that. Told Brooks I didn't want to do it. Never wanted to do this interview. Didn't want to do the pictures. We did a photo shoot. Never even showed up. Uh, he wouldn't do that. And on and on and on. And then – after he got done with me, then he would start kicking the story and all that it was about. But, you know, I, I'm sure looking back, I'd have felt the same way. He, he was hurt. I mean, at the end of the day, he had a strong, you know. But you had no inkling at the time you were looking at the yeah. early stuff that the drawings were going to be. You think no. you all were misled by not seeing those drawings early? Well, I mean, you're going to be the – they did this every year, and I think they might still do it. They always have a lead feature article type deal going into the NCAA tournament. We were that team. I mean, look, we were at that point. We're almost 27 game win streak. We lost one game to UMass, the second game of the season in Detroit in a Grade Eight. Marcus Camby's breakout game. Um, you know, we were number one. They knocked us off. We were number two. They were number one, and it stayed that way the rest of the season because UMass wasn't going to lose any to anybody in the MAC or A10. They lost one game, I one think, game. late. Yeah, late. Same time we did. Yeah. But but it was one of those type of deals where <laughs> this was going to be a big feature about Kentucky basketball coming back and now the dominant program. I mean, think about it. We were the dominant program in well, America. Do, do, do you think perhaps, too, is that 
from the day that Patino took over, there wasn't anybody saying anything negative about him bringing it back. Uh, was that a, was that a, perhaps a case of hey somebody's got to you know call time out here and slow down the momentum of this? It's not all story. It's, it's not all blue, blue roses. Blue in yes. other words, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I hear you. That that could have very well been the case. I mean. All I know is at the end of the day, me taking up an opportunity for a big feature for him ever again was done. <laughs> uh, I also know at the end of the day there were, there were not going to be any more photo shoots. Uh, all those bridges were burnt. And there were not going to be any more interviews uh, for Coach Patino with Sports Illustrated. Yes. In fact, the very next year, obviously we're back one of the better teams in the country again in 97. Has he ever thawed that relationship? A little bit, yeah. Little I bit. think time has passed and uh, other serious matters like 9-11 and other things, you know, puts things in perspective. But I'll say this. I think one of my funniest quotes of all time, which made it around the, the, the way a little bit, was they called again like in 97 before the event. And, and uh <laughs> They said, they said, well, are you not even going to ask him if we'll do the interview? I said, no, I'm the gatekeeper, and the gate's closed <laughs> because it just wasn't going to happen. Before we get into that season and the end of it, let's, <clears throat> let's pop back to the end of the 95 season. What do you think happened with Roderick Rhodes? Now, I wasn't there, Oscar, so I come, yeah. I come in but you're around. three or four months later. I hear all this stuff. There was – it almost is like it's that – it's like that, that son that you have that you're just so frustrated with. You can't get him in line. You can't make him do what you want to do. I see that you're capable of doing X, and you want to keep doing Y, and will you just stop listening to me? No, I'm not going to listen to you. I, I mean, it was that, that kind of a relationship where they just could not see eye to eye. Yet he was the kind of guy he really wanted because he was from New York. In fact, when he got him the first year, he scheduled – to be in a tournament in New York, the ECAC Festival, yep. to showboat him and probably was used in recruiting him. Yeah. And he went up there as a freshman and was MVP of the Classic. Was that maybe not a good thing for Roderick in yeah. the long run? Isn't that funny that we can talk about a freshman being an MVP of an event and not a good thing, and now that's all we have are freshmen that are MVPs of everything, especially when it comes to Kentucky basketball 20 years later. Um yeah, you know, you, you got to think part of it was that. I mean, you look at the makeup of the team, right? You have a Tony Delk who almost transferred after his freshman year. I don't know if you knew that, but TD hated it here. Couldn't get couldn't get the time he thought he was going to get. I mean, he was used. Was it basically playing time? Playing time, all over playing time. Well, and that pretty much been the mo for Rick even up to now, as far as recruiting so-called five-star players that he generally. You, you got to learn his system, and you can't learn it in two months. Coach K does the same thing. Yeah. Look at Harry Giles. And he had the injuries to start yeah, this season. But even – I mean, nobody's but, better at taking a five-star and making him play two years than Coach K at Duke. Yeah. But but it is the second year. The, the other thing is – does and we're, we're really jumping around now. <laughs> but does this year affect Coach K going forward? I don't know. I, 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 because, not, because he had just run into that problem. Mm-hmm. of getting these freshmen to play sophomore, junior level in six months. It could hurt him. That's a great point. I, hadn't I mean, well, will, will, he, will he so choose to say, okay, I'll take one one and done a year. I'm not going to take three. And that's what Bill Self's done. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, you got a Josh Jackson over there. or Josh Jackson over there. 
North Carolina's got a Justin Jackson. You got Harry Giles at Duke. They all want to do one or two. They don't want to have to redo the total rebuild like Kyle is very comfortable in doing. And yet he's still having, as he said the other night on his radio show, he's still having to convince the fans that's the way to do it. Well, <laughs> you, you only convince the fans if you get to the Final Four. Right. And then if you don't, then they start doubting it. You better not do that two years in a row. Exactly. Let, let's get into the 95-96 season. That was uh, that, <clears throat> that, that team was um, – it really wasn't fair to compete against that team if you were the rest of the nation. I still call it, it the GOAT. It was so good. Yeah, the greatest of all time. Uh, you look at that picture on the wall that, that I've got, you've got, others have uh, all over Kentucky, and, and you look at the lineup, and you look at the reserves, and you look at the number of, of players that went on to be in the NBA off of that one team, and, you know, where you have a Mark Pope that transfers in, it plays a key role for you, that it played for Lynn Nance at Washington. You had a Derek Anderson that's coming off the bench uh, for part of the season. Uh, that year that transferred in from Ohio State. It's kind of not neat now because I, I look at Gonzaga and I see the here they are, the number one seed, and they've got a transfer from Washington and transfer from Vandy. And they're doing the same thing Coach P used to do. It, it's the nice way to supplement your gaps in your, in your roster. And he did it so masterfully back in those days to take the, the Delks and McCartys and have your core and then, then supplement with a, a veteran player that wasn't a Juco. You know, somebody yeah, that could step was, right was, in and play. It was pretty hard to get playing time here of, of quantity if you were a freshman. I mean – No matter how good you were. Oh, yeah. They had the great practices going against one another where you get better every day. Like the very same thing Cal sells today, they were doing back then, and really that wasn't the popular way to phrase it. Or it wasn't really talked about how practice was much harder than the, than the games. But, but keep in mind, I mean, even that 95-96 season, we had to get over the hump of – Who's going to play point guard? Because he wanted Tony Delk to learn that position so bad. Well, so it was basically by default that Anthony finally got it. By default. Well, uh, what would you call default? Well, the fact that the others couldn't beat him out. Correct. Because he wanted – he did not want Anthony to be his point guard. Well, guess who started at point guard in the UMass game in Detroit that we lost? Yep. Tony Delk. And he'd also, <laughs> I guess, started the first game against Maryland in the tip-off classic – the, the weekend before. And so, given that it was just okay, and all of a sudden things clicked better with Epps on the floor, he didn't have a choice. Well, during during most of Patino's era there, the exciting part of the Southeastern Conference was basically the regular season games with Arkansas mm -hmm. and then the SEC tournament. Mm -hmm. And Nolan had probably the better – part of Patino during the regular season, but he could never handle him in the SEC tournament. No, but I'm going to, I'm going to, before you get to that, Oscar, is the LSU game down there that was one of the most finest performances you'll ever see on a basketball court that first half when we scored 86 points, I believe it was, and they couldn't get the ball across midcourt. But now, as Bob Knight would say, we knew it was going to be easy because we saw who was sitting on the other bench. <laughs> well, that was the comeback in 94 yes. for sure. But, uh, but, but in 96, that game at Baton Rouge really established this team going, man, these guys are pretty good. Now, we still gave up 97 points. The final was like 126 to 97. So 
most of those came from LSU in the second half after things were in cruise mode. But that first half, I don't think I've ever seen a more splendid display of basketball in my life. And I've watched a lot of basketball. I mean, from the press to the shoulder boogie that Antoine Walker would do after every dunk. Antoine had 20, 26 at halftime. His, his game against Arkansas in the SEC tournament, when uh, – who was it missed two free throws at the end? That was Rhodes in 95. Yes, in 95. But that was the great SEC tournament. Yes, that uh, was game the game against one. Arkansas. Yes. In the Georgia Dome, I think. Correct. Yeah. Um, That's when Arkansas was still bringing 20,000 people yes, to the arena as yes, well. Yes. And uh, you, you, you got into the tournament that year, SEC tournament. Halftime, Mississippi State, you're down – Six, seven, eight, something like that. And Antoine, for some reason, I guess it's a coach's decision. I don't think it was never his sees decision. the court again. Never sees the court again. <laughs> now, I, I don't believe as some conspiracists, and I know you think I'm one of the leaders in that, <laughs> but uh, I don't. I don't buy the fact that uh, he was trying to throw the game or trying to lose the game and set a point. This but, this whole but, discussion came up at the uh, reunion that I was at back in August down in Miami, and uh, Antoine still it's still a sore spot with Antoine too because he goes I don't think you wanted to have that win streak, Coach, and Coach goes oh, I was just trying to teach you a lesson. What lesson are you trying to teach me? I didn't do anything that game. <laughs> so. Now my question my question is a as a member of the official traveling party that night had Kentucky beaten UMass. In a grade eight, and you were playing that game. Be a different story. Would Antoine be playing in the second? Oh night? yeah, he'd been playing. They'd been. Fed, that would have been the forty and zero. Not not just been playing. The offense would have been run through him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no Antoine. You know a- Antoine was Antoine. Antoine's a character at the end of the day, and and even back then at eighteen and nineteen, he was quite the character. And and um, here's what I hated. I hated losing under Coach Patino. Because outside of the team, I was the first guy that had to talk to him. And that was never a pleasant experience after a loss. Um, Still isn't. No. I, I mean, <laughs> I've been talked to uh, – it's funny when, when coaches today – and, you know, we run a lot of college basketball in my business now, Oscar. But when coaches get upset with me, it's, 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 it's almost laughable after, after having a young Coach Patino get on you. And, uh, you know, he didn't mean anything by it. It's just how he kind of dealt with situations. And that was hard to understand back then. He's from the East. From the East. It was nothing. And, and 10 minutes later, it's forgotten. But, man, for a ninth-generation Kentuckian, it, it freaking rip your heart out there a little bit and, and um, feel well, like, you you know, may, you were just as much a cause of the loss as I don't, I don't the, know the final that, score. I don't know that that many people really saw – the significance of that Mississippi State game in as much as that Mississippi State was a better team than anybody really was labeling them at that particular time. But then they came to Rupp and upset a very, very good Cincinnati team mm-hmm. in a regional finals, mm-hmm. made it to New York. In mm-hmm. fact, you had Kentucky, you had Mississippi State, you had Syracuse, his old buddy, and, and you had UMass. Two of the three you'd already played. Yeah. Well, before we leave the SEC tournament one, 
this is how, how my point being where he I, we hated to lose right and I hated to, to, to deal with him after a loss because it just it was always too soon uh, there was no right way to do it uh, I would ask him how can I better handle this situation in the future where I screwed up before and he would tell me give him time if I gave him time he'd go hey why aren't you doing your job what am I supposed to be doing you know it, it, in not so pleasant terms so in this particular case, I was obviously concerned. SEC championship, we had just lost, right? And our 27-game win streak had just come to an end. And I got to go get him to take him to do the one thing that he was very good at but hated to do after a loss, and that's go praise the other team and talk. So we go in there, and I grab him. And we're walking down, and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stiff, tight, worried, just – what can I what can I do to make this situation as good as possible? And um, I said uh, I wouldn't start a conversation. I hand him the stat sheet. We're walking down the Superdome hallway there, and and he starts the conversation. Well, didn't play too well, did we? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no sir, no sir. He goes, yeah, we'll be all right. I said, you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm good. And you could tell it was a sense of relief. That there had been, you got to remember, there had been a lot of discussion, Oscar, from you all, the local press, from the national press, from everybody else, that you've won 27 games in a row. You're steamrolling toward playing UMass somewhere in the Final Four again because they've won a ton of games in a row. They're number one, you're number two, yada, yada, yada. And it's like this big burden had been lifted off his shoulders with that loss. And sure enough, it, it turned out to be a, a great loss for Kentucky basketball. So you go to New York, you win it. What was it like after the game? Oh, he was just uh, as if he had hit the lottery. And I mean, I don't mean financially, just everything it he didn't had, hurt him financially. Didn't hurt him, but everything that he had ever desired had finally happened. And I don't think he could have been any happier at any moment in his life than that moment where you. You know, you got, you got to remember, uh, I mean, these, these guys like a Coach Patino, they, they stay up till 1 watching tape. They get back up at 3 and 4 a.m. and start watching tape. I mean, he'd wake up at 2 a.m. and call Winston Bennett and Delray Brooks and Jim O'Brien and have them come to his house at 2.30 in the morning to talk about the team. Do you, do you think he's an example of a lot of coaches who have won the title who say they've never stopped and paused and to smell the roses? Until they cut the nets down, and then it's a, a different era in their life. He'll he'll always yeah you're exactly right. He'll he'll always talk about it. it's always the hunt, it's not winning it, it's the it's the whole experience leading up to that. And I think not only in basketball but in life in general, you'll hear about that for those people that are pursuing a bigger prize. Let's get into the next season, the '97 season, and. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody really wasn't expecting another title. They were expecting a great team, but there's no way you were going to compare 97 with 96. And, and I don't even know if they were expecting to go to the Final Four. No. But the way things turned out, as the season wore on, it started getting more and more. And then let's just go straight to the Derrick Anderson injury and take it from that point forward. Well, I mean, uh, I'll even start with the Clemson game at the, the season opener because uh, I sat down and shoot around that day and I said, Coach, what do you think of the team? And he goes, I'm worried. He said, uh, we're going to try and run this through our big man and I just don't know how it's going to work. And that was Nazi, 
and that was the young Jamal McGlure. And that's a sophomore Nazi. Yes. And so he's still getting in shape. He's not there yet. And he'd never played. I mean, he played JV basketball up to this point, let's be honest. And McGlure, who had his hands as big as that laptop over there, uh, but they felt like they'd been slammed in a car door repeatedly because they were just thick, padded hands that just could not catch a basketball to save his life. Um, and we're going to run our offense through these two guys. And you got Ron Mercer and you got Derek Anderson, which went on to become the air pair, right? Um, Thunder and lightning and all that good stuff that, that they came up with. Well, we go in this Clemson game and we get it handed to us by Rick Barnes and, and his Clemson Tigers. This is in Indianapolis at the RCA Dome. And that was another big day, Oscar. You don't know this, but we thought we had Tracy McGrady coming to Kentucky. Now, Tracy McGrady has to phenom. Yep. One of the arguably the top five players in the country. Might the be the number one at the time. Yeah, it might have been the best player in all of, of high school basketball. And Delray Brooks had been recruiting him for us. And we were at the hotel. And before we left the hotel, uh, my job was to keep checking at the front desk to see if we'd gotten a letter of intent because that was National Signing Day. Right. So this is the LOI was supposed to be faxed to our hotel there in downtown Indy. And we're waiting on this fax. It's not showing up. We go to the – now take the bus over to the Dome. Uh, I have to keep calling back to the front desk to see if the National Letter of Intent showed up. Still hadn't shown up. Um, worst case, Dickie V, who was doing the game, always goes back and talks to the coaches before the game. He's the only analyst I know that gets away with that, even still today. And so he goes back and talks to Coach P, and Coach P lets him in on the secret that, hey, yeah, we're getting the National Letter of Intent today. And Co- Dickie V goes, can I talk about it? Oh, yeah, sure, you can talk about it. Of course, you know that wasn't legal. We couldn't put it out as a university or an athletics department. I'm not going to stop you. but uh, <laughs> Exactly, but I'm not going to stop you from talking about yeah. it. So during the broadcast, Dickie V brings it up that Tracy McGrady, what a great decision. Well, it's going to be great for the Wildcats. It's going to be great for Tracy McGrady, yada, yada, yada. Well, so after the game, we lose. And I, <laughs> I did the old, well, let me give coaches space deal before in the locker room. the bad news. Yeah, before I go to get him for the press. And so I wasn't even thinking about Tracy at that point. And then I get – I'm standing outside the locker room. Winston goes, Coach needs you. So I walk in and I say, yeah, Coach, what are we supposed to be doing? Where are you? You're supposed to be doing your job. He just rips it to me. And I'm like, oh, Coach, I'm just waiting on you to clean up. Uh, we're, we're ready. Uh, ready to take you down if you're ready. Uh, so we go down to do the press, and he's just in my ear on me, so mad at me because he just needed to vent. And I was the guy that he could vent to. I tried to change the subject. Hey, uh, Coach, uh, Van's going to – you guys are taking that private jet back and Van's got your uh, stuff off the bus. Just do your job, Brooks. Just do your job. He's still on me. And so we get there. We do the press. I take him out. Ralph's going to do the pro-scape interview with him for the coach's show. And, and Ralph goes, well, hey, Coach uh, – at least let's talk about uh, – uh, let's talk about some good stuff after coming this out of this next time out. Let's talk about Tracy McGrady. I heard that guy – that Dickie V talked about that tonight. And uh, Coach P's, oh, okay, let's do that. And I'm like, Coach, you can't talk about that. Why? Because we didn't get the national letter of intent. What? <laughs> I mean, he – now he's got this whole new blood pressure thing going, and I'm like, I, I, I don't know, Coach. I've been calling over the, to the hotel. It never came in. Get Delray now, <laughs> you know. And so here comes Delray. Well, long story short, we all know Tracy McGrady never played 
a minute of college basketball, much less for Kentucky basketball. And uh, that set off a whole other chain of events that would take us another podcast to talk about. But uh, needless to say, it took uh, it probably cost Delray his spot in college basketball. It definitely cost him his spot in going to the Boston Celtics after the season. So you, you get into that season. Derek gets hurt late in the season. Best player. He was midseason by one report, the midseason player of the year in all of college basketball, and I don't think there was any question about it. He was, he was the guy and made it all flow because we go to the Great Alaska Shootout after Clemson, and that's where him and Ron, we started, coach decided not to go through the bigs to run the offense. We're going to go with the wings, and let's see what they can do. And nobody could guard both of them. Let's go straight to the SEC tournament, and by then you're getting constant people calling every day. How long is he going to be out? Is he near getting back throughout the SEC tournament? Well, Coach Patino took it as a personal medical challenge to change the history of rehabbing from ACL injuries. <laughs> and so between him and Dr. Caborn, they set out on a mission to bring him back by tournament time. And, and let, let's go to the post-championship press conference of the SEC tournament. You'll have to refresh my memory yes. on this one, O. And at the end of it, they're bringing up, is he going to be ready for the NCAA? Mm -hmm. And he makes the comment, you know, I'm not going to put him on the floor unless he's ready to go completely. Correct. And he gets up from the podium, leaves the podium, goes down, takes about four steps, stops and comes back and said, let me just explain to you how I feel about this. If he were my son, I would not play him unless he was 100%. I'm not going to play him any less than 100% healthy, too, and left it. Then we fast forward. Mm -hmm. We go to, I think, Salt Lake City the first round. You do? And then we're in. So here's what happens after we, that. We, we, we up, we're up in California. Yep. San Jose. Northern California. San Jose. But we had, a, we had a stop in between because it was spring break. We did not come back to that's Lexington. That's right. That's right. But he was practicing by then. No, he practiced one – he practiced – He practiced in San Jose. No, he practiced in San Francisco at the University of San Francisco. Well, he also – In between those two rounds. Well, in between those two rounds, he made a visit to a hospital in San Francisco. And the doctors there told him, no problem. Yep, that's correct. He can't be – he can't do any damage to it than that. And uh, – He had been limited Jerry on practice. Prickett, Jerry, Jerry Prickett has been quoted – a thousand times hmm. as saying he was absolutely kicking a double S in practice. Correct. And he's he, the best player on the floor. And he got to play in a championship game, although there is no record of him playing a single second. Yeah, but let's back up. Now, stop. Let me All fill right. in some gaps there uh, okay. that you had. So we go from Salt Lake to San Francisco. And they wanted to get a second opinion. They had some doctors that somebody had recommended, or Dr. Caborn, who was our team doctor at the time uh, there at UK, um, had suggested we go and get a second opinion from. So he had been rehabbing like an animal. Uh, he had just been shooting in the gym on his own, uh, limited exercise other than what they would do on the various machines that would protect the knee. Uh, I mean, he wasn't going crazy up to this point. So we get to a point, where Oscar, where – um, they finally get the all clear. 
They put him through that practice at the University of San Francisco. Remember like it was yesterday. I mean, he was the best player on the floor, you could tell. And so um, he's going to play. And the talk and discussion had been he's going to play. And everybody was anticipating his return. We're in the regions, right? So it's the third and fourth rounds coming up. We're going to definitely see Utah for the annual trip in the NCAA tournament. And they had Keith Van Horn and that very good team uh, that we are going to have to battle. And they were number two in the West. We were number one in the West or however it was. I can't remember the seedings at the time. Um, but there we are in San Francisco getting ready to head down to San Jose. And Tim Asher, who is our video guy, still the video guy for U.K. basketball, he and I had gone down to the Fisherman's Wharf there in San Francisco, had dinner, came back in the night – that night, it was a couple days before we were supposed to play. And he goes, uh, Brooks, let me see you. And he was with Bob Ryan with the Boston Globe, sitting over there just casually ch chit-chatting. They were buddies. It wasn't something I'd set up. And uh, so Bob t bids him adieu and says, hey, and Coach goes, look, uh, hey, I need you to put a press release out right now. Well, this is like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, no, this is probably 10, 9 or 10 o'clock San Francisco time. It's midnight here. In Lexington, he goes, I need you to put a press release out right now. Derek Anderson is not going to play um, in the NCAA tournament. Co Coach, what? <laughs> he goes, sit down. So he sits me down and tells me, he says, I just cannot put that kid out. If he was, to your point, if he was my kid and I put him back out there to try to win this championship and he does something to that knee and it cost him his NBA career, I'll never be able to live with myself. And I said, Coach, I mean, we all just saw him today. He was remarkable. Let's let's sleep on this. <laughs> That's what I told I'm like debating with Coach. He goes, no, no, no. I want you to put it out right now. I said, Coach, it's it's midnight, going on 1 a.m. back in Lexington. There's nobody I can put it out to. Let's just wait until the morning. I'll put it out in the morning if you still feel the same way. Okay, fine. But I want to put it out first thing in the morning. So I went to bed going, this is unbelievable. I tell Asher, he's like, are you serious? I mean, it – not, we were just as a head scratcher. And uh, sure enough, next morning coming, I said, Coach, I've got it written up. You want me to put it out? Yep, put it out. No, it was there was no backing off of it. So we put it out, go ahead and win those two games there in, in San Jose that weekend, head back to Indy where we started the season against Clemson. Uh, we're going to finish it up now, and, and uh, here we are playing Minnesota mm -hmm. and a technical on Clem, Hams uh, Clem Haskins. Uh, the coach, Kentucky boy, and uh, off the bench comes Derek Anderson to shoot two free throws. And that was the extent of his, his – How do you uh, work that into the box, I wonder? How can you score in a game you got zero, zero minutes? minutes. <laughs> <laughs> zero, exactly. zero, zero. It was. He went in and then yeah. he had to come out. And, and then go to the championship in Arizona game. Uh, oh, geez. I mean, they fouled everybody out. I was, talking, I was complaining about this to some Arizona fans out at the Pac-12 tournament just two weeks ago. I mean, they, they foul all of us out. Um, Nazi goes 0 for 6 from the foul line. If he had any free throws, we're in good shape. I mean, we had the big threes by Epps and Mercer at the end of the game to get us to overtime. Uh, the kid that's the announcer now for, for ESPN, the Arizona player, seemed like he shot 45 free throws. I think I remember Coach Patino yelling out one time, he's not Larry Bird. Quit, <laughs> quit blowing a whistle on every time he touches the ball on us. And so, you know, it's one of those situations where it just it came so close, could have fallen our way, and just little things to happen.
did you sense anything going down that stretch that would indicate to you that Rick in less than two weeks would be making the leap to the NBA? It was May 6th he left. May 12th we hired Tubby. I actually remember those dates for some weird reason. But, no, at that point in time, he was – I think he was a surprise by how, how well that team performed. They well exceeded his expectations, even after the game, going into the game. So now I'm like snake bitten on all losses, right? I don't want to I, – I just would rather be in some other community. <laughs> and so I go to see him. See him. Are you going to be in the locker room after the championship game tonight? He goes, yeah, why? I'm just going to stand next to you, okay? Because if I got to take him to the media and I got to take him back outside to do the CBS interview in the hallway, whatever, I just want you around to help me, okay, will you? He goes, I'll be glad, but I think you're going to be okay on this one because he cannot be- – and CM said, he can't believe we're actually here tonight. And I think that said a lot because you had a team that were pretty much your role players – Albeit, I don't think anybody anticipated Derek now, Anderson being as good as he was going to be. That's still, but, but this team was still made up of that greatest team ever. I know, I know. But you lost the elite players, right? You, or so well, you thought. You thought. So you thought you I lost mean, the elite who would I mean, who would have ever dreamed Nazi Mohammed would last in the league longer than anybody on that 96 team? Nobody. Nobody would have ever taken that bet, Oscar. The odds makers in Vegas wouldn't even put numbers on that one. Uh, I mean, this guy, if you would have seen him playing JV basketball, he couldn't even jump to dunk the ball. When did you first learn that he was leaving? Um, you know, I, I have to stop and think for a second. The, 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 the interest started up again. Of course, it was an annual tradition, remember? True. Every spring it was somebody else. I mean, the year before, I got to – the year before, after we win the national championship game, we're at the White House – Let's be – All right, we're at the White House visiting President Clinton, who's going to honor us at the White House in the East Room. And, Coach, we also go to Congress. We meet with our Kentucky lawmakers and all that fun stuff, a reception. And Coach goes, hey, you and Cassie, me and my wife, you and Cassie want to go to Ireland with us on this alumni trip in June? Uh, yeah, sure, why? He goes, uh, he goes I'm going to leave Jim O'Brien back. i got some work for him to do. Well, he was leaving Obi and Sharon back because he wanted Obi to work on the draft in case he took the Nets job. And so we get to go on the ride. I didn't know it at the time. I found that out later. But that's why Jim O'Brien didn't get to go on the golf trip to Ireland. So we go with the three or four dozen um, folks. And we have one night while we're in Ireland – we had this dinner at this castle where we were staying, and then we go to the pub in that castle, and it's all Coach Pete. A lot of his friends now that are still in Louisville and so forth, they're all on the trip, Larry Ivy and so forth. And we sit in there, and, and there must have been maybe a dozen of us, and I think we drank 12 bottles of Dom, and we thought it was his last night as a Kentucky coach. We thought he was taking the Nets job the next day. But not the Celtics, the Nets. This is the year before, the year before after the oh, you're 96. talking about after '96 season, okay? Yes, after the '96 season. Well, let me ask you this. And so, so the next morning, he calls me at 6:30 a.m. before we go to golf. Meet me in for breakfast. I need you to put out a release. He loved putting out releases that he was not taking the Nets job. Okay, question. 
How much of all the talk after each season from the Duke game on was the scuttlebutt about flying back to an NBA generated by outsiders versus him planning it? I I don't think it was I don't think it was either one of those Oscar I I think you got a guy that had proved his wealth again in 1996. But it didn't happen with other coaches. No, but back then you can't compare it to, to what's going on today. Back then, I you mean, back a, then even. But yeah, but he his last his I mean, last foray into the NBA ended in the playoffs with the Knicks. Think about that. He left Kentucky. I mean, he came to Kentucky from the Knicks in the playoffs. He left it. In great shape. Yeah, but 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 it wasn't in great shape among the people in the NBA. Well, but but he had the big brouhaha going on with the ownership, well, right? I, that's true, but but he was never considered by anybody as being successful in the NBA when he came here. But why is that? Well, it doesn't make any difference. Well, the reason why is he's a young, brash New York coach. Well, he's going to tell you what he thinks, and he's going to tell you he yeah, knows more than you know. But what I'm saying is – you didn't hear that about Krzyzewski. You didn't hear that about Dean Smith. You didn't hear that about Bob Knight. But he was not only the, one of the youngest coaches in college basketball, even when he came to Kentucky, he was one of the youngest coaches of all time in the NBA. So you but, got, but what I'm saying is, though, you were hearing that five years before he won the title. But I'm trying to put it in context for you, Oscar, in that, yeah, you, you heard that, but at the same time, he was in a situation where he was considered – hey, he could coach the freaking Knicks to the playoffs. He could probably do pretty good for my team, and it gets my NBA base excited because he is the best coach in all of college basketball. It wasn't Coach K. Think about this well, for a moment. But, but Think about this yeah. for a moment. Let me finish. Think about this for a moment. Coach K had won his two titles in 91 and 92. 89-2. And, uh, yeah, uh, forget about that one. But he won those <laughs> two. he won those two back-to-back, had been on a roll, had been the guy. But here comes Kentucky, starting with the 92 game, right? Yeah, 95, hold on, 95 regional final, 96 championship, 97 back in the championship. What happened to Duke in 97? You remember? Coach K doesn't finish the season out because he was bad back, and he tried to give the all of his losses to his assistant interim coach. So his star for had just gone dim for a short period of time there. Coach P, if anything happened in all of basketball or college basketball, guess who got a call to comment on it? Coach Patino. Yeah, all, all, all I'm saying, though, is until until you get to the 96 season, possession. It, until 96 was a team, yeah, but he wasn't that great 92, 93, 94, 95. He got upset in both 94 and 95. He didn't go out as an underdog in either of those two years. But everybody knew in 92 and 93 they shouldn't even been in, in competing after what they had been through. Well, they should have been 93, but not 92. Well, you had Mash rolling at yeah. that point. But, you know. At, I think he had quickly <laughs> established himself as a guy that had coached in the NBA, so which you nobody else had done, and had uh, was having great success so in the college So game. you don't think he was having people to go out and push him for it? No. Okay. I don't. I really don't. I think he he embraced that love. He always wanted to hear that people want him. I give him more credit for him. being smarter than that, though. Yeah, but but I don't think he had to work real hard at that. If you had to tell me who was that person, I, I couldn't tell you who that person was that would be out there working on his behalf. And I knew a lot of the characters. You know, it was like a Dickens novel down there uh, with all the characters they had around so, him. So let's go from one era to another now. 
let's go from he's leaving and you're right on the dates because I met you at the top of the stairs of the Coliseum the day before Toby was hired. I was heading to Florida, moving to Florida. And you hollered at me and said, where are you headed? I said, I'm headed to Florida. He said, I'm going to tell you who's going to be the coach. You didn't tell me when. You said, it's going to be Tubby Smith. Um, how long had that been in the works before the actual date? You know, it, it, I don't think anybody believed Coach Patino. You asked me earlier, and I didn't, never got to an answer on that. When did I know? I didn't know until it happened. And, and I don't think anybody really did, Oscar, other than him. And I'm not sure he knew because – When you say him, you mean – Coach Patino. No, I'm talking about when Tubby got to – I know, but we got to answer the first one before I can answer okay. the second one. So, so with Coach Patino, the story goes that his representative here in town was meeting the Celtics at the airport. They were flying in to, to talk to Coach Patino, and they were going to throw out a ridiculous number and then watch him get back on the plane and fly back home. And when they didn't get back on the plane and fly back home, Coach P called and said, what did they think of it? Well, we're on the way to your house. They kind of they said that wouldn't be a problem. And so all of a sudden, the financials were ridiculous. Uh, and now it was, okay, this is becoming real. That only happened a day or two before the actual announcement. It all went pretty quick after that. Well, now let me ask you this. When he threw the number out to him, and he thought it would be ridiculous, and he thought Boston would get on the plane and go back home. Does that mean he really wasn't going after it? And then it was just too good an offer to turn down? I think or was he just trying to I think go. that's the case. If you if you want to pay me something ridiculous, and I think his ridiculous number was lower than what they actually threw out to him. I think it was gonna go like thirty or forty million. And next thing you know, he said, Well, let's do fifty million. And and they didn't bat an eye. Because again, here you've got a situation where you've got a program that's totally at the rock bottom, and I can go coach the Celtics back to prominence just like I did Kentucky for $50 million. Well, now, that, that's a little bit uh, escalated, that – that, uh, Number? That number from when Rick came here, he agreed – his agent agreed to $450,000 a year with Jim Host, and they had a handshake on it, and the next morning – According to Jim Host on our earlier podcast, <laughs> his agent called and said it's going to be six fifty, and he said, "You don't understand. We agreed on four fifty yesterday." And his agent said, "You don't understand, Mr. Host. It's going to cost you six fifty if you want Rick Petito." And CM called Jim up and said, "Jim, you got to come up with two hundred. Yeah. Okay, we do it. Yeah, but six fifty to what? Sixty million? Yeah, a lot, a big, big swing. So, so now we fast forward it." I walk in the office. I said, Matt, Coach, I just can't believe this is happening. And uh, he goes, he goes. well, he says, I'm leaving the program in good hands. It's in the best shape it's been in a long time, so I'm very proud of that. I said, now, well. when he said he was leaving it in good hands, did he tell you who the next coach is going to be or Maybe I, I say that wrong. He's leaving it better, much better than he found it. Let's okay. just put it that way. And I said, well, who do you think is going to be the next coach? Is it going to be Billy? That was my first question I asked him. He goes, no, I, I think CM thinks Billy's too young for this job just yet. And, um, and, he's, and of course, you know, Billy had only been to Florida now one year, right? So if he had been down there, let's say, three years, might have been a different story. Well, I've heard people say that CM asked Rick, and Rick told CM that. He's only been there one year. 
he, he needs to be there more. He kind of put it on towards CM. Our thanks to Brooks Downing, who took the time to sit down to talk with Oscar and I. There's still more to come from Brooks and Oscar, so look for part two in the near future. To make sure you get part two of Oscar's conversation with Brooks Downing, make sure you check back on the multiple platforms in which you can access this great Wildcat history. Conversations with Oscar Combs can be found at oscarcombs.com. And also, two conversations is made available through the Google Play Store and iTunes. Just search for at Wildcat News and subscribe for free. And the episodes will automatically download into your mobile device. And to keep up with Oscar and news about upcoming podcasts, Oscar's on Twitter. Follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and thanks for listening to part one of Conversations with Oscar Combs and his guest, Brooks Downing. <laughs>